All right. Did you hear what happened to the guy that invented the knock-knock joke? He won the Nobel Prize. <laughs> you know what the difference between a, a dad joke and a bad joke is? One letter. Sorry, I can't help it. I, I'm a dad. What can I say? All right. If you open up your Bibles to the book of Mark, we'll be continuing our study in chapter 3 there. And if you've been here the last few weeks, you know we've had a good study so far, first two chapters. We've talked about Jesus and his, uh, his ministry, how it has begun, starting with John the Baptist and then his baptism and then going from town to town in, in the region of Galilee, particularly in Capernaum and, and that area, and teaching and uh, healing the sick and casting out demons and doing some pretty wild stuff, so much so that he's become very popular, become very well known, and it's making it hard for him to get around because he is so popular in that area, right? And he's becoming so well known that people are kind of flocking to him, right? All sorts of people and all sorts of spirits, right? And you can kind of categorize those folks into about three different categories, right? You've got the disciples, of course, those who have been called by him, those who are following him, and seem to be a, a committed bunch, right? And then you have this multitude we keep reading about, right? A multitude of people that are attracted to him for some reason, most likely because he's healing the sick. He's doing miracles, right? And they hear about this. They want to know perhaps they have some, some need that they hope he can help them with. And so they're coming and flocking to him, but they're kind of not necessarily in that um, committed uh, bunch, right? That committed category. They're more like observers, you might say, right? And then you have that group that he's casting out, the unclean spirits, those who are condemned already, but they know who he is. Turn over to uh, Mark chapter 3, and let's read about that. Beginning in verse 7. It says, but Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon. A great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him, for he healed many. So that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. All right, that's an interesting passage, right? We can see that three categories of people here, of spirits, right? That are flocking and following Jesus, that are hearing about his miracles. And you have... The disciples, we've already seen a few that he has kind of called. Uh, Peter, Andrew, James and John, Matthew, right? And you might say those are the committed. Those are the ones that are coming and following Jesus, have decided to put everything else off and follow him full time, right? To do whatever service they want him to do. For instance, in verse 9 there, he asked them to prepare a boat because they didn't want to be crushed. So they're taking care of that kind of thing, right? Right? Uh, there in verse 13, 
Um, we're going to read about him, them, him sending them out to preach. We're not there yet. That's a service. They're committed to doing things that he's asking them to do. They're making up the Lord's work. They're doing the Lord's work. They're committed to him. They're following him. They're there for his every beck and call, right? Well, how would this relate to us today? Who are the committed today? You remember the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of every nation, right? That's the first thing he said there. Go and make disciples of every nation. Followers, people who are committed to Jesus, committed to the work, committed to the cause. So who are they today? Well, you might say those in the church, right? Those who are committed believers who have obeyed the gospel, repented of their sin, and have begun a service in the kingdom, right? Begun to work, begun to develop a Christ-like character that you read about in 2 Peter 1. All the characteristics of a spirit-like life, right? And they have developed a Christ-like service. You might read about that in 1 Peter 4. Doing the work, willing to be of service to each and every person. Teaching others about who Christ was. And then you have this group that we might consider the multitude, the curious, right? Included those looking to be healed... Coming to him just trying to touch him, just trying to do anything to be healed, right? Because they've heard about this person. They've heard how he's healing people. But not so much disciples, right? Yeah, they're on the fringe out there. They're, they're coming in. They want to hear about this. They want to see what he's doing. You know, it kind of reminds me of going to the circus, right? You want to see these great feats that they're doing, but you don't want to participate because that looks kind of hard to do. Looks like you could get hurt doing that. So they're out there in the seats, you know, or go to a football game, same thing. I don't want to get down there on the field. I'll get crushed. But I like watching. I like seeing what's going on, right? And if my team wins, it makes me feel good. This group that's not wanting to get involved. Jesus had some words about these. Let's, let's go look at what he said. Turn over to uh, Luke chapter 14 real quick <clears throat> and see what he says about this group of people. Luke chapter 14. Beginning of verse 25. He said, well, the writer says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Interesting, right? People are coming to him to be healed, but they don't have the desire to turn their life over to him. No, that's too much. Remember the, um, the rich young ruler? What did Jesus say to him? He said, I, I've kept all the commands from my youth. I, I've been a great Jew all my life. But he was rich. And what did Jesus say? Go and sell all you have and come follow me. Couldn't do it. Couldn't turn his life over to him because he had great wealth. He had other things that were more important. These are the people he's talking about, these disciples that are committed, that have turned their lives over, that have shunned father, mother, sister, brother, spouse, to follow him. Some people might read that and think, man, that, that doesn't sound like a good verse, right? You're supposed to shun your own family? 
Well, that's not exactly what he's saying, right? What he's saying is, if I'm not number one, if I don't come before your spouse, if I don't come before your mom and dad or your children, then you're not committed to me. You're not my disciple. Oh, that's a big time statement, isn't it? But that's the point he's making. Your life has to be turned over to him first and foremost. He has to be number one or you're not going to be committed. You're going to be part of that multitude that's sitting out on the fringe who, who likes the healing, who likes the message, right? Who likes the camaraderie. Oh, but when it comes to really getting involved and being of service, eh, I don't want to get involved it's too much, right? Tend to be that way. Turn over to John chapter 6. See something else he says here about this. John chapter 6 and verse uh, 22. He says, On the following day when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias as near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered and said, Most surely I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. He's giving a warning to the multitude there. You came to see me because I fed you. It's not because you're committed to me. If you want to be my disciples, leave everything and come follow me. Curious today, those who perhaps just visit church regularly, right? Perhaps they go on special days, right? Don't ever become members. Don't want to get involved. Yeah, we like to come and see our buddies at church, at worship on Sunday. We like to hear the preacher or we like to sing. But eh, when it comes to that doing something, ah, that's too much. I got a busy life, right? My kids are in ball. I got work. You know, we're, we got a lot of stuff going on. Can't really get involved with that. Maybe they just want to come and appease the conscience, right? Maybe that's just so they'll feel good about themselves. I mean, I, I know I'm speaking to the choir here. You're here on a Sunday morning, 9.15 in the morning. You know, when I drove out of my neighborhood, there were some kids out in the yard playing. I'm thinking, man, those kids need to be in Bible school. You could be doing that. You could be sleeping in bed right now. But you're here, so that's a good sign. But if nothing else, I want you to think about that. Are you committed? Are you part of that committed crew, or are you just part of the multitude? They just want to sit out there and look from the outside. You remember Felix? You remember the Athenians in Acts 17? Felix said, you almost persuaded me. Unfortunately, he didn't commit, right? He stayed out there. And then you have, as we read about the unclean spirits, the condemned. Turn over to Matthew 8, and let's see some more details about the unclean spirits. Matthew 8 and verse uh, 28. He says, when he had come to the other side to the country of the uh, Gergesenes, 
there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What do we have to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? You have unclean spirits who we don't know the origin of. We don't know why they're here. They're possessing men. But they know who Jesus is. They know he's the son of God. They're actually testifying to Jesus Christ. They know they're condemned. They're complaining because their time, he's, he's, they're afraid he's going to, I guess, cast them into hell before it's time, right? So you have that. Who are we talking about when we refer to them today? Are we have folks today that are condemned? Do we have people in the church who are unclean? Don't mean that in a physical way. I mean spiritually. Are they condemned? Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Let's read a few verses. Hebrews chapter 10, begin in verse 26. <clears throat> Hebrews 10, 26, For if we sin willfully, after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Count of the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Those verses kind of cut, don't they? Kind of sounds like those unclean spirits, didn't it? They're trampling the Son of God underfoot. Considering the covenant of the blood a common thing. In other words, it's not important. Yeah, it sounded good, but I'm not committed. The Hebrew writer's saying they're already condemned. They don't have forgiveness of sin anymore. That's a terrible thing. Hmm. That's what we're talking about when we refer to the condemned of today. You think lightly of sin and mock those who do good, who will one day have to answer to Jesus. Which group are you in? If nothing else, I'm, I'm not here to step on toes today or anything, but I hope you're going to think about it. I hope it's something that doesn't just go in one ear out the other this morning. Something we need to consider, right? Absolutely. All right, well, moving on in Mark chapter 3 there. We're going to continue and see what else is happening and beginning in verse 13. And it says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, 
Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also portrayed him. And they went into a house. All right, so here we have the listing of the 12, right? It's important to Jesus to have some close disciples so he can train and minister to these apostles or, or disciples who are going to become apostles. Men who will continue after his death, resurrection, and ascension. He's going to be leaving at some point. They don't know this yet, but he knows it's going to happen. In this text, we see their appointment uh, to be with him and later to be sent out to preach. I want to make Mark doesn't get into it. Let's turn over to Luke and see in chapter 6 and see something Luke says about it. And this goes back to when we have a study on prayer. We've talked about it, we talk about it a lot, but notice what Jesus was doing. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, and it says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose the twelve, whom also he named apostles. So Mark doesn't mention the prayer, but Luke does. Apparently he had been out praying all night about these men, these twelve close disciples who are going to become apostles. It was that important to him that he had to be up all night praying about it. Remember one other time when he was praying about these men? Anybody remember when? It was in the garden, right? Before his crucifixion. When he's talking about, you have sent these men to me, you've given them to me. Now be with them as I'm about to leave them. It was very important to him. These men were to carry out his message after his death, burial, and resurrection. They were to be eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Turn over to Acts chapter 1. Verse 1, <clears throat> this is Luke's writing. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After he, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after a suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He continued to be with them after his resurrection, showing them who he was because, you know, they weren't all on the same page yet, right? Remember doubting Thomas. Remember Peter denying him. But he showed them who he was. They witnessed that he was truly resurrected in the body, and they can now truly believe and understand who he was. Acts 1 tells us this. Then Acts, in verse 8, just read that. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. These apostles were going to carry out the message. He taught them. He was the example. And he said, I'm going to send you the Spirit when I'm gone, and that's going to help you remember the things I've said to you so that you can carry on the gospel, establish it, have the church established, and continue to preach to the end of the earth. Peter explained this in, uh, later on in Acts. He explained the apostles were to witness to the resurrection. They were to testify again and again. 
and Jesus expected them to believe who he was through his word. Not only that, turn over to John 17. Let's see something else he said. John 17, verse 20. And this is actually in the garden. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that all may also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. How do we know who Jesus is? How do we know about his life? Through his apostles, right? We have the written words of his apostles, his disciples. That's how we know. If we didn't have the apostles, we wouldn't really know who Jesus was, would we? That was his intent. He was training these men to serve him, to be in the kingdom, to preach the gospel to all the world. And they did it. They went out and did it. They witnessed that resurrection. That became the power behind the message, right? That was the fuel that they needed to see that, yes, God raised him up on the third day. And he appeared to us many occasions. And they went out and preached. Didn't worry about whether somebody's going to hang him up, put him in prison, beat him with rods. Didn't matter. They'd seen the resurrected Christ. They knew where they were going. Anything on earth that could happen to them ain't going to matter, right? Do you ever think about that, that, you know, my faith is not strong enough. Maybe if I had just seen Jesus in person. You ever thought about that? Maybe if I just seen him resurrected, I would just go out and do whatever was needed. Wouldn't matter. But you see, that's what the apostles did. They saw Jesus for you. They were your eyewitnesses. They were the guys whose example shows us what it means to actually see Jesus and know who he was. You don't have to see him. You can believe through them. What a powerful message. You have men who are not perfect, sinful men who would do anything to preach the gospel so that the world would know. And we should be thankful for it. They suffered greatly for their faith. And all but John were martyrs. They died a death because of what they believed in. Could you do that? Could you die for what you believe in? Hmm. Not only that, they were ambassadors for Christ. They were sent to preach the gospel to every person, giving a ministry of reconciliation. Forgiveness of sin. That's good news. They were giving out the good news that you could be saved. Proclaiming a message that Christ was raised again, and he has forgiven you, and you become a child of his. Preaching all to be reconciled to him. Pleading with others to receive his grace and obey his gospel. They also did something else. They warned of danger by not doing that. Hebrews 12, the first writer says, it's very dangerous to refuse Christ and his message because all you have then is just a doom, you know, doomsday judgment coming. They continued the work done by Jesus. They were teachers. 
They did, uh, Jesus, John 16 tells us, Jesus did not reveal all things. We know that. He sent the Holy Spirit. The apostles were able to continue that message. We have the epistles, right, the letters. Uh, Paul is constantly answering questions because the churches were having issues. He's able to do that through the Spirit, and we have record of that today to help us. Help us know the things that Jesus didn't necessarily tell him while he was here. And remember, we talked about last week, he had to speak in parables, right? Because they were not able to understand. These apostles went out teaching all things that pertain to life and godliness, becoming, becoming the authority for the church, really. You might say Jesus' proxy in that regard. Jesus ascended to heaven, sitting at the right hand of God, reigning in his kingdom, and you have the apostles who are still here on earth who are being the authority, bring, uh, bringing doctrine to those who are believing. Not only that, they wrote uh, things about their lives that can help us as well. Remember Paul said, if you want to be like Jesus, imitate me. Because my life is all about Jesus. I am a committed disciple, a committed apostle. Use me as an example. We can follow their examples just as much as Jesus did. No, they weren't perfect men. They're not God. They're not the Son of God. But they were committed disciples, living a life like Christ. Apostles are also part of that foundation. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's read what Paul says here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, Now therefore... And you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus, is, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The apostles were the foundation of that temple. Physical temple? No, spiritual temple that dwells within our hearts. That is part of our hearts are built on, right? Our spirit's built on. Our faith is built on that foundation that was set by the apostles, Jesus being the cornerstone, built up for us. They're very important. Jesus says, these men were sent by God, and you need to listen to them. All right. Anybody ever tells you that I've heard this before, actually. Everybody tells you that Paul was a con man. Well, you just, you just got to go to his letters and read how consistent they are, right? I've heard somebody say that before. Paul was a con man. He shouldn't be in the Bible. And he was a Christian person, supposedly. <clears throat> they wouldn't be in your scripture if it weren't meant to be there. You need to heed them. Read a little bit further some other folks that had dealing with Jesus. Beginning in Mark 3, chat, uh, verse 20. It says, pay attention to these two verses because it's very interesting. We, we tend to read over some of these. Sometimes we don't see what's going on here. Verse 20, then the multitude came together again. Remember right before this, he went with the apostles into a house. Then the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. They're pressing in on him so much that they can't even have a meal. They try to get in this house, but they can't eat. So when his own people heard about, whoa, wait a minute, who? But when his own people heard about this, hmm, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, 
He's out of his mind. Who are we talking about here? Huh? The multitude follows him, right? They continue to press in on him. So much so you can't even go in the house without just the multitude hanging out, right? And it's all night, 24-7, right? The house where he's staying is besieged. And it also gets back to his family. What's going on? Hmm. They're concerned about him. I mean, I, you know, if it was your brother or your son, you might be concerned too, right? But what do they say about him? He's crazy. What is he doing? Can you imagine saying about that to your family member, your brother or sister? You're, you're crazy, man. What, what are you doing? So they try to get a hold of him. They try to get him out of there. Perhaps they're thinking, who, who does he think he is? Let's read uh, who these people were just for a second here. You got his parents. You got Mary, his, his birth mother, virgin until Jesus was born. Visited her cousin Elizabeth, gave birth to Jesus in Bethlehem. Took Jesus to Jerusalem when he was 12. He was present with Jesus at the marriage in Cana. Saw Jesus when he was teaching. He was present at the cross. Committed to John's care. And he was with the disciples in Jerusalem following the ascension. She was pretty much there the whole time. Joseph, adopted father, he descended to David. Took Mary as his wife, did not know her until Jesus was born. He was from Nazareth, enrolled at Bethlehem, presented Jesus at the temple in Jerusalem, and then returned to Nazareth. Fled to Egypt, later resettled in Nazareth. Took Jesus to Jerusalem when he was 12. Supposed father of Jesus, a carpenter. Jesus was blessed. He was born of a virtuous woman and raised by a just man. Then he had some brothers, right? Turn over to... Uh, Matthew, real quick, and let's read who they were. Matthew chapter 13. Beginning in verse uh, 53. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get his wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters? Are they not all with us? When did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, in his own house. Now he did not do many works there because of their unbelief. Well, he had some brothers. We got names of them. We got some sisters. And guess what? They think he's crazy. They don't believe him. Well, in a way, you can kind of see that, right? Don't raise your hands, but who's got a brother or sister in here? If your brother or sister came to you and said, I'm the Messiah, <laughs> what would you say? You been drinking? You been smoking the weed? Yeah, you can kind of see that, right? But they did see the miracles, or at least heard about them, right? They did see the things he was doing. But, you know, when you're growing up with him, it's kind of hard to get away from that, I guess, right? It's kind of hard to see that. Except for maybe Mary and Joseph. And we'll get to that in a minute. His brothers didn't believe him until after the resurrection. Then things changed. 
Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 real quick. First Corinthians 15, uh, verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to Scripture. He was buried, then he rose again the third day, according to Scripture. And then he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all his apostles. James is not an apostle. Apparently, James is his brother. And last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. James had become a believer. In fact, tradition shows that he's the Lord's brother who became a pillar of the church in Jerusalem. In Acts 12, he talks about being identified as the Lord's brother, a pillar in the church. He was martyred, apparently, by tradition, by being thrown from the pinnacle of the temple. Interesting, right? He changed. Something changed him. We also know about his other brothers, right? Joseph, little known about him, but apparently he became a traveling missionary. Simon, we don't know, similar to Joseph. Jude, apparently wrote Jude. That's Jesus' brother, Judas. What was it that changed him? That resurrection thing. Yeah, they saw the miracles. They saw what he did. They saw him casting out demons. They heard about him at least. Thought he was crazy. Tried to seek him and get him out of his house because... They're afraid he's going to get hurt or die, I guess. They're trying to help him. You know, like you would do to your brother or sister. You thought they were insane. But then after that resurrection, things changed. They became believers. Interesting, right? One final thought on this before we move on. Something to think about. You ever heard someone that says, there was no virgin birth. That's a joke. There's nothing like that. Mary believed the entire time. And you know that by one simple thought. And it's something you got to think about a minute. She was there at the cross, right? She saw him being crucified. She didn't do anything about it. If you were sitting there watching your son be die, wouldn't you want to do everything you could to get him down? You see, all she had to do was say, he wasn't born of a virgin. I, I had sex with Joseph. He's my biological son. That would have been easy, wouldn't it? If he'd have said that, then everybody would know he's not the Messiah. He's, he's a shyster. But Mary knew. Mary knew, and she knew what this was all about. Just by her not coming out and saying anything, is a proof that he is the son of God, born of a virgin. Something to think about, right? Next time somebody might tell you that, sometimes you got to think through it a little bit. All right, moving on. Mark chapter 3, we're running out of time, and I really want to get to this. Mark chapter 3, verse 22. <clears throat> and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If the kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods. 
unless he first binds a strong man, and then he will plunder us. Surely I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation, because they said he has an unclean spirit. Quickly here, he's talking about the unforgivable sin. I know that causes some people consternation, right? Over your life, you've probably thought about that. Been a Christian for a long time. Have I committed the unforgivable sin? What is Jesus talking about here? All right, make this quick. He's got the Pharisees cutting the scribes coming down and saying, he's getting his power from the devil. All right, he's getting his power from Satan, from Beelzebub. That's where this is coming from. Jesus tells his disciples, what? That makes no sense. Why would Satan cast out Satan? Makes no sense. Turn over to Matthew 12 real quick. Let's read something about that that Matthew wrote about it. Matthew 12, 31. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. Whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in age to come. So apparently this unforgivable sin is something about blasphemy against the Spirit. By the authority of Jesus' power to cast out demons, they were attributing that to Satan. They were saying that he gets his power from Satan. In effect, what were they doing? They're saying the Holy Spirit is the devil. They're saying the Holy Spirit is unclean, that it's from Satan. They directed all hope and forgiveness to Satan, which is not possible. Jesus' point, I would not be casting my demons if I was from Satan. Why would I be doing that? Why would I be doing anything if it was from Satan? In other words, Mark says, and he says it right there in the last verse, he meant that he was saying that the Holy Spirit was an unclean spirit. That's what it is. That's what the unforgivable sin is, to go and attribute the power of God to Satan. If you've ever wondered whether you've committed it, then you haven't. In fact, there are some that would say you can't commit that today. I'll just give a couple examples here real quickly. Um, this is from the Believer's, uh, the Believer's Bible. Probably, it probably cannot be committed. It was a sin committed when Jesus was on earth performing miracles. Since he is not physical on earth today, casting out demons, the same possibility of blaspheming the Holy Spirit does not exist. People who worry about whether they've committed this sin have not done so. The very fact that they concern indicates they are not guilty of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The nature of sin is described what is obvious work of the Holy Spirit to Satan himself. It's not simply a momentary doubt or sinful attitude, but a settled condition, right? The person who is concerned about has probably never committed this sin. It's not something that you commit one day and, you know, not even realizing it. It's that total rejection that total rejection of the Holy Spirit of God, whatever. If you're worried about it, if you're trying to do the right things, remember, there is a certain not unforgiven, losing of the forgiveness of sin if you're not walking in the light. But if you're trying to walk in the light, you're trying to walk in the Spirit, and you think about that and think, have I committed it? Then you haven't. That sounds a little bit circular argument, right? Kind of a circular argument sounding. But you are not attributing the Holy Spirit to Satan. You're not saying this power is evil. And that's what Mark says. 
They were saying this power was evil. Of course, they had ulterior motives, right? They don't want to lose their power. Serious sin indeed, but likely not something that can really even be replicated today, other than just saying, I reject the gospel. If you reject the gospel, it doesn't matter really anyways, right? You're going to be judged. All right. I hope I haven't confused you too much, and uh, hope you're enjoying this study. Our time is up. Thanks for being here.